not know this, but my wife is a pretty successful blogger, at least in my opinion. I think she's pretty successful. Of course, she's humble, so she wouldn't, she wouldn't probably claim that about herself, but I would, and uh, she's a pretty successful blogger as well as a wonderful mother and a wonderful wife, and uh, it's you know, a blessing for me to be able to be a, a partner with her. But one of the, uh, one of the perks of being married to a successful blogger is that you get to go to some pretty big events around town and you get to do it as a member of the press and that happened for us this past week where uh, we got to go to Hamilton and, and so we go in the door and she gets her tickets from the press table and she pulls them out and kind of looks where we're seated and, and you know, look at the ticket and on the ticket it tells you how much the ticket is worth, right? $175 a piece. Like, well, there's no way we could afford this. This is pretty cool. So, so we're at Hamilton, and we're with all of these people that we don't really belong with, you know, because, you know, they can afford the tickets and we can't. But, but it's really fun to, to be there. And so we not only found ourselves amongst all of these people who could afford tickets, but we, we found ourselves also amongst all of the locally famous people. Maybe not all of, but a lot of them. And what I mean by that is our local news anchors. And, you know, they're obviously members of the press, so they... they they get tickets as well to these events. And, and it was pretty cool at first because, you know, we're standing out in the lobby and as we're standing out in the lobby, and we've seen them before, especially at the Keller when we go there, uh, we've seen them before and I think we've even seen Joe V before, but Joe V, was there anyone know who Joe V is? Fox 12, morning show, right? Yeah, Joe V, he's the guy that gets to go out and do all of the fun stuff and, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a pretty cool guy, you know, he's the kind of guy that I think, you know, he, he and I would be pals if we knew each other in real life, you know. You know, just, just a cool guy, and, uh, and so we saw him there while we were waiting out in the lobby, and he's standing with, who is he standing with? What's his, his wife, but her name is? Kelly Hansen, right? And so uh, he's with his wife, but we didn't know it was his wife. All we knew was Kelly Hansen, who's from a totally different channel, not on the same channel. I was like, that's kind of weird. You know, Joe's with, with the competition, but then uh, do a little research and find out that they're actually married. And so they're, they're there on a date, you know, as a couple going to see Hamilton. And, and, then, and then we start seeing all these other news anchors. News anchors from all of the channels were there, and we get to see them. And we go and get our seats. And at first, we go to our seats, and, and we go and sit down and it was row X and it was seat four and five and we went to the row X we thought it was but there were people sitting in seats three and four so we thought we must be wrong so we went over to the other row X with seats four and five which is really 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 smart I think in my opinion to have like five row X's all with the same numbers I think that's a really good idea you know, but so, so we go and sit in the other row X in the seats four and five, and then uh, one of the ladies who's obviously in a class far above us comes and tells us that, no, we're sitting in her seats, and she's a, a season ticket holder, and we ask her if she could help us. I was, trying to, I was trying to be polite and calm and say, okay, well, we don't really know what we're doing here. Can you help us? And then she, she just pointed to one of the one of the people in the aisle, they can help you. And so we got out of our seats and they point us to the right seat. And so it ends up when we're sitting in the right seats, we're also sitting with all of the other people who are the press. 
Right, and so, so we're sitting in the end row, row X, seat four and five, and you know, a, couple of, a couple of seats down, and in the row in front of us is Stephanie Kralovich, also on Fox 12, and then we're sitting here, and you know, uh, my wife spots him, and it's Pete Ferryman, he comes, and he sits right behind us, literally right behind us, which is, which is really crazy, and then this older couple comes and sits right next to us, and this guy apparently knows all of these people, I don't know if he's the boss or if he's a sponsor or something like that, but he knows all of them, so, so they're all talking at them, and, and throughout the course of the evening, you know, they're, they're all, they all kind of end up looking back in our direction because they're talking to this guy that's sitting right next to us. Deborah Knapp was out there also not far from us, and she had turned around and talked to the guy next to me, and so was that grumpy lady from Fox 12. I don't remember her name, but, you know, she's the one that always looks grumpy when she's on the news. You know, she's out covering. It doesn't matter what story. It's just always grumpy. You know, it's, it's, it's snowing, grumpy. People have died grumpy. You know, it's just always, always the same, no matter what. But while we're sitting there, I started to feel a little bit self-conscious. I mean, I mean, not only are we with people who can afford things that we'll never be able to afford, but we're with people who spend their lives in front of a million people, and they're all kind of looking back this way, right? They're all kind of looking in our general direction, and we had stopped to eat at Chipotle on the way there because everybody likes to pay $10 to get E. coli once in a while. And, and so we had eaten at Chipotle and we had to try out the new queso sauce. And then I start wondering, like, is there, is there queso in my beard, you know? So I'm starting to do one of these things, just trying to feel, feel around my face to see, uh, is there something in the beard? In the beard? And, and it's one of those things that, you know, no one's really ever brave enough to tell you, hey man, you got food in your beard. They just look at you and assume that you're some kind of caveman or something because like you just got back from the hunt and you just couldn't clean out your beard in time. You know, it's just, that's just what they do instead of saying, hey, you've got a piece of lettuce in your beard. They just look at you in a weird way. And, so I started checking my beard and doing my best uh, to check everything, and, and I felt something right here on my chin, right? And so I started kind of picking at it because I didn't know, I didn't know what it was, and I didn't know if it was visible. And so I, I was picking at it, and I picked at it, and I finally got whatever it was off, and then I noticed that I was bleeding, right? So, so now, so now like, it's, it's worse. I've gone from, from worrying about having something on my face and probably having nothing on my face to having blood dripping off of my face, which is really great, right? So now I'm more nervous than I was before because, you know, if I talk to them, I might now have blood on my face, right? I, I might, they might look back in my direction and see blood dripping from my beard, and now I'm going to become that guy that was at Hamilton with blood dripping from their beard. And, you know, to top it all off, you never know for sure what's going to happen. You know, you, you, you know maybe, maybe they, they, Joe's going to come and talk to you, and you know, he's, going to be, he's going to be buddies, right? And like, you, you never know for sure. You never know what's going to happen at an event like that. You never know, you know, but, you know, maybe there's a vampire around this place, and now they smell the blood, right? Because I just picked off the scab, and, and it's Portland. I mean, there's all kinds of weirdness over there. And it's Hamilton, right? And it's a musical about history, which is where all the vampires live. So now it's really weird because I don't believe in vampires, and I'm thinking about vampires at, at, at Hamilton. Um, but we sit through Hamilton, and, and we go through all the rigmarole, and which I don't know if you know anything about Hamilton. It's really, it's really cool, but it's a lot of words. The whole thing is basically hip-hop, and they're communicating the whole story through hip-hop the entire time. There's no time where they stop and really speak. It's all, 
it's all in this thing, in this, in this rhyme and rhythm and pattern, which is cool once you get used to it. It took me a while to adapt, but I adapted and I was able to follow along with the story. And we finished the story and people are weeping and sobbing in front of us and we get up and we get out and we're out in the race trying to get home. And, and lo and behold, you know, when we come out, we come out at the exact same time as Joe V. He's going back to going back to the coin tower, which is where we parked in the basement of the coin tower with his wife, the news anchor from the other channel we won't mention. And I really wanted to take a selfie. I really wanted to like go up and, and, and say, hey, can, can, can we take a picture? You know, and I just thought that'd be cool. And then Becky didn't think that would be so cool. So we talked about that for a while. And then she gave me permission that I could actually do it. But then I got nervous about doing it, you know, so it's like, well, and, and then you could see them kind of walking. I mean, he's literally right here. He's literally right next to me. I mean, I could have been that weirdo, that creep that reached out and grabbed his hand, but I didn't want to make that kind of introduction. And so I wanted, to, I wanted to take a picture, but then I started thinking about it. What is that like? What must it be like to be Joe V? What must it be like to be Deborah Knapp or, or Pete Ferryman or to be someone more famous than they are? Because we had witnessed with our own eyes, we saw them and earlier in the evening, people were coming up to them and asking to do what I had been thinking about doing the whole evening as well. Hey, can we get a picture? But you think about that, if you're Joe V or you're some kind of local celebrity, everywhere you go, you have to always be on. Every time you go out in public, every time you go to the grocery store, you're on. Somebody might stop you because they recognize you. Every time you're at the gas station, you have to be on. Every time you're at the library, you have to be on. Every time you even go to the bathroom at Kohl's, you're on. You're always on. So ultimately, that in my mind, as much as I wanted the selfie, was what led me to think, no, I'm going to leave him alone. I'm not going to ask him for a selfie and ruin his date night with his wife. But it got me thinking, always on. What must it be like to be always on? Had this old extension cord that needed a new end on it, and I thought it's a good time to use it for an illustration. That's why there's so much down there. But what's it like to be always on? Have you thought about that? I mean, if you're somebody like Joe V, it's just, you're always on. I'm going to leave that on for a minute. Well, to kind of set the stage for where we're going, we actually have to do a big trek all the way back into the uh, Old Testament, Genesis chapter 22. So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to get that out and pull it through, pull all the way back up into Genesis chapter 22. We're going to look at Abraham Because this is the beginning of everything that's coming this week. This is what created the, the story of Christ. I mean, obviously God created the story, but this is some of the first metaphor we see for Christ in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 22. This is the big trial, right? This is the big test. Now I feel like I've got blood dripping from my face because I was picking at the same thing. But you all are my friends, right? So if I do, you're going to tell me. This is, this is the story of Abraham that we're all familiar with. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 and 2 says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. 
And then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, if you're just reading through the Bible, you're just going to skip through and just kind of go past that statement. It says, okay, go there, sacrifice your son. And verse 3 says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and, and loaded his donkey. He, did, he was going to go do what God had told him to do. And, and if we don't stop and ask the question, what? <laughs> Wait, what? what is going on here? We don't really maybe understand the gravity of what's taking place. God just asked this guy to sacrifice his son. Okay, that's weird in and of itself, but it gets weirder once you understand a little bit more of the context. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 3, and we're going to hear about this part of this promise that had been given to Abraham. God told Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, God had promised Abraham that he was going to make a nation out of him. Okay, so, so that's okay, but maybe God can fulfill that promise through something else. So we need to understand a little bit more of the story. Maybe you don't know this. So let's go to Genesis chapter 15, verse 5 and 6, where we get another picture. It says, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God is making a promise to Abraham. Your offspring is going to outnumber the stars. That's what it's going to be like to you. And verse 6, verse six says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Because Abraham believed what God said was going to happen, it was credited to him as righteousness. And we see that later in the New Testament as an example of righteousness for us to live by. But maybe you don't know this. We, we talked about this when we were going through Luke and we covered the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth, how they had a kid. They had John the Baptist when they were old, but, but that story was a repeat. You know, it was just, it was the second story of the same thing that had already happened. And this was where it happened the first time where Abraham hadn't had any kids with his wife, Sarah, and they were 190 years old. And then there's this whole story how, how there, there are three people that come and, and, and God is there and, and, and the angel says, By the, when I come back to you this time, at this certain time, you will have a baby and Sarah is in the tent and, and she hears that and she laughs and then later in the story, God says, yeah, you laughed and she says, no, I didn't and he said, yes, you did. And so, so they laughed about what God had said because they were so old. She was 90 and the Bible says that she had passed the age for childbearing. But in, in fact, what God, in fact, what God had said was going to happen did happen, and they had their son, Isaac, when Abraham was 100 years old. He was 100 when he had his only son, his first son and his only son with Sarah that would be the one through whom this promise to make a great nation and to have, star, have kids that outnumber the stars your only son that you had in this miraculous way, this way where, where it was only God that could fulfill the promise, right? It was only God that fulfilled the promise of, 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 the, of the son and, and brought about the potential for this promise to be fulfilled. And by the way, God likes to work that way. God often does things in ways that only he can do them. 
He does things in ways that only He can do them for His credit and for His glory. But there's a little bit of perspective, right? I mean, so we have old guy Abraham who's got his son Isaac. He's over 100 years old, 108, 110. I don't know how old Isaac was at this point in time. And so, so he's over 100 years old, and God comes to him and says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. How would you respond? Put yourself in the situation. God's asking you to give up your only son that you had through miraculous means. Hey, God, do you really think this is such a good idea? You want me to offer my son, my only son, the son who's going to be the father of many nations, the son I had when I was 100? Are you going to give me more sons? How would you respond? How did Abraham respond? Genesis chapter 22, verse 3. The next morning, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He got up and obeyed. He got up and did what God told him to do. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when they had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Uh, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And I'll see if you're just reading through the Bible. To get through the Bible, you're going to miss some of this stuff. And so I want to stop and and reflect on it here. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, the, the wood that Isaac carried up the mountain to the place where they would do the sacrifice. And there at the top of the mountain with the wood already on the altar ready to ignite, he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I think we have a tendency to romanticize some of these stories. You know, you know Abraham took a son up there and, and, and God provided the ram and it was all good. But, but we have to see exactly how far he went to understand the gravity of obedience. And so, so actually he took his son and he bound him and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood that would burn him up as a sacrifice. And I had, missed, I had missed this until I was reading through this this week. Verse 10. Then Abraham, then he reached out his hand and took the knife 
to slay his son. That's, that's radical obedience. I mean, I've, I've tried to put myself in the situation and understand, and I, I cannot for the life of me get myself to that point where I have built an altar and I have put wood on the altar to sacrifice my own son and I have bound up my own son and I have tied him up and I've placed him on the altar and I have gone to the point where now God has told me to sacrifice my son and I have raised the knife to actually make a sacrifice out of my son. I am going to follow through with God command. I have a hard time getting there, but, but Abraham got there. He reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his one and only son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. And by the way, when the Old Testament talks about fearing God, I think we misconstrue the idea because we think it's something where we're supposed to be terrified and afraid of God. And, and, and while there are aspects of it because that's part of the definition, it's also heavily laden with the idea of reverence and awe and worship and, and respect. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up. He'd been looking at his son, you know, probably taking incredible determination and concentration to be able to go through with the act that he had been commanded to go through. And you can imagine the, the, the way you would feel, right? The adrenaline rushing through you, the, the blood pumping through your veins, and, and the angel calls out, Abraham, Abraham, and you look up, and there in the thicket, in the thorns, in the brush, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And we're going to get that promise again here at the end of the story. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because when you're God, that's who you swear by. You, you, you don't have anyone else to swear by. You swear by yourself. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And in fact, it is through the line of Abraham that Jesus Christ comes. Now let's fast forward to past Christ. Let's go, let's go jump past Christ and look at this and, and reflect back on it because we can start to tie this whole story together with where we are today. Acts chapter 3, verse 21 Talking about Jesus, this one, Jesus, heaven must receive until the time all things are restored, which God declared from times long ago through his holy prophets. 
Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must obey him and everything he tells you. Every person who does not obey that prophet will be destroyed and thus removed from the people. And all the prophets from Samuel and those who followed him have spoken about and announced these days. He's talking about Jesus and what is going to happen now in the world because Jesus has been resurrected, he has ascended, and now he has sent the Holy Spirit and the people of God have the power of the resurrected Christ living in them. And he's talking about what's happening now that all of this has taken place. He says, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who followed him have spoken about and announced these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, here's the connection, and in your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. Which nations will be blessed? All nations. And God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each one of you from your iniquities. See, the promise of God is full of blessing. God's greatest blessing is turning us away from our sin through his son, Jesus Christ. We hear that word blessing and our mind automatically goes to the wealth and prosperity gospel that's been preached so much in our time that that God wants to bless you. God wants to give you everything that you ever wished for and everything that you ever wanted. God wants to give it to you, but that's not what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about blessing. God wants to bless us in a way that he sees as blessing us, not the way that we see as blessing us. God wants to bless us and the greatest blessing he provides to us is through his son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation we receive and the turning away from ourselves and our sin that we receive through Jesus Christ. That's how God wants to bless us because that is who he is. He is a God who blesses. It's in his nature. He cannot not bless. That is just who God is. He's a blessing God. But God's blessing probably doesn't look like the blessing we want. In fact, I would say it rarely does. But if we can learn from Abraham and if we can learn from Jesus, if we can learn from the stories of the Bible, we will also know that God's blessing for us is far greater than our understanding. See, what we don't realize is that if God were to bless us according to our terms, we would be limited in our perspective because everything would be about us. It would be about blessing us in the way that we want. But God isn't in that business. He's not trying to give us as his followers more of what we think we want. God is trying to bless us with more of what he wants for us. That is his desire is is what he wants for you because what he wants for you and what he wants for me, what he wants for us as his followers is far greater than what we think we want for ourselves. And what we think we want for ourselves is going to pale in such great comparison to what God ultimately has for us. His blessing far exceeds our idea of blessing. That brings me to a point that I haven't preached on in quite some time. I preached on it when I first started here several years ago, and I've preached on it a little bit over the years, but I wanted to remind us of it because it's a danger we face, because it ties in exactly with what we're talking about right here. So the church isn't a commodity to be consumed. 
And that thinking, that way of thinking is, I think, the cancer that is destroying the church in our day today. We've started to think of the church as a commodity that I get to consume and I'm going to decide what best fits me and I get what I want out of church and that's how we, how we think about it now. We're treating church like a commodity and that's by definition consumerism. Consumerism is the protection or promotion of the interest of consumers. We're thinking about what's best for me and getting our own blessing out of the church. That's the point for a lot of us. It's the way a lot of people are thinking about the church in our world today. And a lot of what's taken place in the church has become just trying to make people happy. A lot of churches kind of run by that in one way or another. They just try to keep everyone happy and, and hopefully if they're happy then they won't leave or if we do the right things and make people happy, maybe they'll want to come and be a part of us. And there has to be, I guess, a degree of that to some extent to, to help people find and discover Christ. But when that thinking embeds itself into our way of living as followers of Jesus Christ and our approach to church, it becomes eternally dangerous. If church is about keeping us and making us happy, we're in grave danger. If we start to think of and say things like, if you don't keep me happy, I'm going to go find somewhere that will. If those, that, if those thoughts are in our minds and driving our thinking about church, we're in danger. And I know some who have left churches to go find in other churches, and we leave with the thinking, oh, I'm going to go find somewhere that makes me happy. Or at least happier. And it works for a while. And then something happens or something changes and we find ourselves again saying things like, I'm just not getting anything out of church anymore. They're not doing any of my favorite songs. They don't have this specific ministry that I really want. The sermons are boring and way too long. And when we treat church as a commodity to be consumed, we're never satisfied with church. Because we don't understand how things work in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, it's not about me. It's never about me. It's not about you. It's never about you. It's always about something else. See, we've made church all about our preferences and our desires. And we bought into the idea of God wants to bless us, but we don't realize that he wants to bless us in a way that we probably aren't thinking of. And so we think God just wants to bless us, and we think that means that God wants to make us happy. But I have to share this with you because I believe this is true, that God isn't trying to make you happy. He's trying to make you whole. And the dominant driving force in our nation right now is personal happiness. I, I want to be happy. I get to be happy. It's you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I should be able to be happy. But what if what we think is making us happy is actually driving a wedge between us and our relationship with God? What if it is actually creating separation? And I think there are a lot of things in our life and in the church world today that we're using to try to make ourselves happy. 
that God actually needs to deal with. And until he does, until God deals with those things, I don't think we can experience God's true joy that he has for us. Last week we asked the question, do you know God or are you using him for his stuff? That was a hard one, I know. It was hard for me. It was a hard question God asked me last week and dealt with me last week. Am I using God for his stuff or do I actually know God? A lot of times we, we just come to God asking for his hand instead of seeking his face. But God, like we talked last week, he doesn't want us to just be seeking his handouts. He, he wants us to be seeking him. He wants us to be a people who are after his heart. And to do this, he needs to perform a transforming work in us, giving us a new heart. And God wants to transform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And if God is transforming us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, then, then we need to be submissive to that image no matter what it is, no matter what it looks like. And we cannot come to the image of Christ and say, okay, I want this part and I want that part. I'm going to take what fits in my life and I'm going to reject what doesn't. This is not the image that God has for us. He wants to reject all of those things in us that have nothing to do with Christ and replace in us the image of Christ and make us whole how he designed us to be from the beginning. And so if we're going to be like Christ, we need to know who Christ was, right? Anyone know what Jesus' mission was while he was here on this earth? What, and a lot of people have maybe have said this over the years. You know, there's a, there's a certain phrase that a lot of people give credit to as Jesus' mission statement. Anyone have an idea what that is? Shout it out if you got it. What? To serve. serve. Matthew twenty twenty five. This is at the Last Supper. This is at, you know where Jesus is talking, and and there's this little scuffle that rises up amongst the disciples about who's greater among them, right? And Jesus' response to that is, "You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them." And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, okay, here's Jesus saying, instead, instead of what the world does, this is what he says of us. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, God's only Son, came to serve. Do we understand that? Do we get that? Have we seen that in Jesus' life? Have we romanticized Jesus' life? Or do we really see that Jesus Christ, God's only Son, came to serve? And not just to serve in the form of the servant, but to actually go all the way and give his life. Think about that. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the, the creator and sustainer of all things, came to serve the ones he had created. He came to serve us humans whom he had created. Who is this Jesus that we are being transformed into his image? Well, this is the Jesus we are being transformed into. 
This might mean laying down everything. In fact, if we read our Bibles, it tells us it does. We lay down everything, including our lives. We have to follow on the path of Jesus Christ taking up our cross. This is contrary to popular belief. This isn't just adding a little bit of Jesus to our lives so we can sleep better at night. It's not just adding a little bit of Jesus here and there so we feel better about ourselves while we go out into the world and live like we want. That is consumerism. We are the central focus in that paradigm. Consumerism is taking what I want from Jesus and making myself feel better about me. Add a little Jesus so we can get what we want. It's using Jesus to get his stuff. What's it like to be on all the time? Have you thought about that? That's how Jesus lived his life. Always on. Everywhere he went, he was on mission. Every moment of his life, he was on for what he was supposed to be doing. Whether he was teaching or healing, he was serving the people. When he would go away from the people to be alone with the Father, he was on because when he was with the Father, he was doing what he had been created to do, being in communion with the Father. And he wasn't just on in the public eye, he was on when no one was watching. When he was around his disciples, he was on. When Jesus was doing and walking and living and doing whatever it was that he did, he was always on. Jesus lived his life always on. But how do we live our lives? How are we living our, if you looked back at your life over the past week, how would you say you lived your life this last week? Would you say that you lived it always on or do we turn it on when it's convenient? Do we turn it on when we're around the right crowd and turn it down when we're with the people who don't believe? You know, it's like, oh, we come to church and baby, we are on. Jesus is awesome. Everything is awesome. We go home. We're still, we're still kind of on. But there's other awesome things at home, right? I mean, there's good stuff at home. And we go to work on Monday morning, and well, I can't be too on. I don't want to offend anybody with Jesus, right? I mean, I mean, if I'm just if I'm just on, I'm going to offend people. So you know, I got to be. A, and then and then the wrong person comes around. It's like, woo! <laughs> that was a close one. And then they leave, and you can kind of come back on. And then you go talk with your coworkers at, at, at your break. It's like, oh, these are my Jesus people, so baby, we are bright again. We are on right now. And then that guy, you know, he comes and gets a cup of coffee. And we're like, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus, uh, yeah, that Spanish guy I know, right? I mean, he's awesome. I mean, he gave me a bike last week, you know. We live in our lives Constantly turning up and down what we think we should be doing when, oh, we're around the right people we're on and when we're around the, well, really, it's the right people, isn't it? When we're around the right people, we tend to turn ourselves down and that's not how Jesus lived his life, right? I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't constantly turning his shining on and off. He was just, 
He was always on. And, you know, and I think that we, we've kind of got this misconception that, that life with Christ is, you know, we shine when we feel like it. And but if it's something we can turn off, I don't know if we have the right thing. In fact, there was one among Jesus who, uh, who was pretty used to doing that, right? There was this guy that was with, with Jesus. And you can imagine how Judas lived his life, right? I mean, when Jesus is around, I mean, he's on. I mean, he's on. But then when Jesus goes away and he's got the money bag all by himself, he's like, hey, hey it is time for me. All right, let's scoop some aside, right? And so, oh, Jesus comes back around. Hey, hey, Jesus. It's, uh, it's Jesus' time. Let's do some Jesus stuff, but then Jesus isn't around, and so I can live, and I think, and I can do whatever I want. I've got to make, got to make some, some kind of living in this life. I mean, I don't know how long this Jesus guy is going to be around. I've got to set some aside for me so that when he's gone, i got something to live by. Hey, Jesus, how's it going? Hey, happy to have you. Hey, that was an awesome miracle. I mean, feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. I mean, wow, right? I mean, just wow. That is, that was astounding. Hey, where's my cut? <laughs> where's my fish? Where's, I mean, I mean, I mean, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, I mean, that was really great. And you know, it's just really compassionate of you to do that, that kind of a thing. And, you know, uh, um, you know what? I, I'm kind of noticing some things here that there's, there's, uh, there's some stuff going on in the people that are following us. And, uh, it doesn't look like everybody's real happy with you, Jesus. I mean, uh, you know, it's kind of like, like uh, I, might be, I might be putting myself at risk. I might be putting myself in danger by being with you. And so I think I might need a little plan B here. So plan B, what can I do for plan B? Uh, no, I don't think that's okay. So here's plan B. Hey, you're going to be in power when he's dead, Right? You're going to be in charge when he's the dead guy. Um, what do I have to do to get in with you? And this last interaction with Jesus is, should be astounding, probably smack us in the face with clarity. Because Judas comes to Jesus, and, and what does he do? He approaches Jesus like he's all on. He approaches Jesus as though he's a brother and he's going to kiss him with the greeting that they were accustomed to. And Jesus knows it. Jesus sees it. You're going to betray me with a kiss, Judas? We on? Are we off? In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus, we learn a little bit more about Judas. I want to dig in just a little bit. We're headed somewhere, I promise. I know it seems like we're all over the map, but we're coming back to one point here. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. In those days, this is before they had received the Holy Spirit, they're gathered together as the disciples. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. 
So the prophets spoke about this long ago. That's what Peter says. He, he was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Verse 18, in parentheses, Luke has given us a little more detail. It says, with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. And there he fell headlong with his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language something, Hakeldema, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, listen, here he's going to go back to those prophecies that are talking about Judas and Jesus. He says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been among us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And that phrase in verse 20, may another take his place of leadership, is actually a quote from Psalm 109. That's verse 8 which this whole Psalm 109, if you want to go read it, you should go read it today. It's a prophetic psalm about the death of Jesus Christ and his betrayer, the one who would betray him, which is Judas. And we can learn, I think, a little bit more about Judas from Psalm 109. You have to be careful when you do this, but I think it applies. Psalm 109, verse 16, talking about Judas, the one who would betray Jesus, says, he never bothered to show kindness He harassed the oppressed and needy and killed the disheartened. He loved to curse others. So those curses have come upon him. He had no desire to bless anyone. So he has experienced no blessings. Who was the kind of guy that betrayed Jesus? Who was this Judas? What was he like? Judas was the guy who never showed kindness. Judas was the kind of guy that never showed compassion. Judas was the kind of guy that harassed and oppressed the needy. Judas was the kind of guy that loved to curse others, especially the disheartened, and he had no desire to bless anyone. And we see that in Judas' life, don't we? When, when the woman came and she anointed Jesus' feet with this really expensive perfume and she was blessing Jesus with this gift, Judas' response was, hey, what in the world is going on? We could have taken that and sold it and given the money to the poor. He had no desire to bless anyone. He didn't want to bless Jesus. In fact, he wanted to bless his own pockets. But the Bible teaches us that those who are in Christ, those who are following Christ are are those who bless God. We have have in our hearts, the beat of our hearts is bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. We are the people of God when we bless God and we bless others. And so I asked myself a question while I was working through this week, and, 
And I was thinking, could this be the marker that we need when it comes to, to knowing whether or not we're following Christ, whether or not we're being transformed by Christ? Could, could this be the marker that we're looking for? And it took me back to this passage that we've quoted so many times that has probably become mundane and routine. But if you go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, I think you're going to see it. It'll say, you are the light of the world. Oops. That light. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so it can give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your compassion and glorify your Father in heaven. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see you blessing people and glorify your Father in heaven. Are, are we the people of God who have in our desire, uh, in our hearts, a desire to bless others? Are, are, we, are, we, are we wanting to bless the world or are we wanting God to bless us? Are we, are we trying to hoard God's loving kindnesses all for ourselves or do we realize that God has put us here to shine and the way we shine is by showing kindness and blessing others and that as we have received the gift of Christ's compassion on the cross and all that he did and paid for us by dying in our place on that cross that, that he has shown us the greatest blessing in all mankind. Galatians chapter three, verse six is gonna bring it all together for us. Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Remember, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness all the way back in Genesis 22. So then, understand that those who believe are the sons of Abraham. Remember that promise all the way back in the beginning? Your children will outnumber the stars. Your children will outnumber the sands on the seashore. And those who believe are the sons of Abraham. That means all of us who believe now are like the sands on the seashore and the stars on the sky, fulfilling God's promise that he started all the way back with Abraham. God is faithful. In Scripture, if we're seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that's us. This promise of Abraham, foreseeing that God would justify us, you know who the Gentiles are? They're the outcasts. We don't have a seat at the table. We don't belong at the table. But through the work of Abraham and Jesus Christ, we get a seat at the table. Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaimed the gospel to Abraham ahead of time, saying, all nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who believe are blessed along with Abraham, the believer. For all who rely on doing the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, cursed is everyone who does not keep on doing everything written in the book of the law. So if you're under the law, you're cursed. You're cursed. 
Now it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous one will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. For the one who does the works of the law will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, listen, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. The blessing of God is not the stuff we want from God. The blessing of God is God. It is Christ. It is, it is coming to God by faith. And the way we come to God by faith is through his son, Jesus Christ. We do not get this by trying to work it out on our own and being righteous on our own. That will always end in punishment. But what God has for us is a gift he wants to give us by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's how he wants to bless us. This is the eternal blessing that God wants to pour out on us, his sons and daughters the most high. He wants to pour out his blessing of relationship on us. And that blessing comes with being made into the likeness of God. Being made into the likeness of Christ himself. And it's eternal blessing. Knowing God and being one of his people like we talked about last week. When we understand the way that we have been blessed, I don't know how we could not shine brightly the light of Christ. We were cursed. Christ became the curse for us. Are we in the business of hiding our lights because it's inconvenient? Because it's just not popular? Because it's just not easy? When, when God gives us the opportunity to bless someone around us, do we do it? When God gives us that chance, or, are we faithful? Do we let our light shine? Or do we, ah, uh, <laughs> not today. When God gives you the opportunity to show compassion to someone around you, do you do it? Or do we hide altogether? You see, we are blessed in Christ Jesus, and the reason we are blessed in Christ Jesus is to bless God and bless others. We've been blessed to become blessers. That's, that's why we are who we are. That's why we're here today. We aren't blessed to hoard up for ourselves God's resources and keep them for ourselves so we can get what we want from God. We aren't blessed so we can take from God what God has blessed us with for ourselves that's not the point of God's blessing. In fact, I think that probably shows a lack of our understanding because if we go back to Abraham, we understand that even when we don't see how it's gonna work out, God is going to provide for our needs according to his glorious riches, just like he provided the ram for Abraham. God will provide for our needs, and wherever you are right now, God wants to provide for your needs according to his riches, not yours, not mine. See, we aren't blessed so we can find the church that best fits our needs, right? We're blessed so we can go meet the needs of others. And if we could let this perspective change in our minds and in our hearts, we'd understand that when we come to church, we're not coming to church to, 
to be blessed, that, that maybe the pastor is really going to bless me today, or maybe the worship team's really, I'm just waiting for the worship team to bless me today, and then I'll respond. But the reason we're coming to church to gather as the body of Christ is to be the blessers, not the blessees. God wants to use us to bless the people around us. He wants to use you to bless the people here at 6-8 Church. He wants to use you to bless the people in your neighborhood and in your workplace and in the community. God wants to use you to bless those people because that's the image of Christ, and that's who we're being transformed into. This is the likeness, because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus did for us. He served us. Jesus washed our feet when we were gross and filthy. He gave his life as a ransom for us on the cross, naked and carrying our guilt and shame. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And that night he was put through several rigorous trials, questioned and challenged, and, and that night he was beaten and he was bruised. And that night he had a crown of thorns pressed deep into his skull. And that night they spat in his face. They whipped him with a whip that had bone fragments and pieces of broken pottery tied into it just so it was more torturous. And the law said 39 times, but the Romans had no such law. See, like Isaac, he had to carry his own cross. He had to carry the wood for the sacrifice that he would become. And they drove nails through his wrists and his feet. And he had to push up off of that nail through his feet every time he had to take a breath. Because with his arms stretched out, hung on the cross like that, the only way to get a breath is to push up, and then when you come down, you can't get air in or out, so you have to push up off of that nail every time you want a breath. <sighs> While he's hanging on the cross, they pierced his side with a spear, and the blood and water ran out. While he's hanging on the cross naked, carrying our shame, they hurled insults at him. The perfect Son of God was mocked. His lungs filled with fluid, most likely, and he died. This is how Jesus served us. This is how Jesus came and served us. It's not very consumeristic. It's not an easy message. But this is the way we have been served by our Savior, Christ himself. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, this becomes a requirement of us. Is the cost high? You bet it's high. 
The gospel makes that clear all throughout. This, this comes at a high cost. This will come at a cost to each and every one of us if we're going to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. That's the promise of Scripture. But we also know because we know God, because we have a relationship with God, because we understand that our eternal destiny is dwelling with God, that the blessings far outweigh the requirements. Now, because God has blessed us because he is the blessing himself. God himself is the blessing. The blessing in eternity is the God who created us and sustains us. That is the blessing of eternity. We get to be with God. The blessing of eternity is being a co-heir with Christ. We are sons and daughters alongside Jesus Christ. This is the eternal blessing. So we understand even though the cost is high, the blessings are higher, we're going to receive in the end so much more than we give because the blessing and nature of God far exceeds anything we could have to give. So my question for us this morning is, are we more like Jesus or Judas? Do we shine for Christ, serving and blessing others around us no matter what the cost? Or do we shine when it's convenient? using God as a genie in a bottle to get what we want. See, what I've been praying all week as I've been preparing for this message is I've been, I've been praying for God to, to do a, a dramatic work in our lives. I don't know if you know this, but I, I'm kind of sick of the whole idea of just kind of playing church. I love our church. I love what God has done here. I love the people God has assembled here. I love each and every one of you who are here. And I know it can be hard sometimes to hear a message like this and think that the heart behind it is love. But at the same time, God wants to mold us and shape us into his image. And to do that, he has to confront some of the lies that we've believed in our lives. And I think a lot of us have believed some lies that, that we think Church is about us and God is about us and the whole point is to get our needs met and to get what we want out of, out of God. And so we've got this switch, right, that, that, we, that we think, well, okay, I'm gonna get what I want, I'm gonna get mine, and then everyone else can, can worry about what, what they're gonna get for themselves. But see, what I've been praying for all of us this week is that God would actually come into each and every one of our lives and do such a radical work in each of us that, that we're not like this anymore, right? That, that this isn't <clears throat> what drives us anymore. It's not, it's not me and my comfort zone and, and my, my, my desires. I twisted that the wrong way. Uh, I, gotta, I gotta redo it. It's not gonna work. Are there any code enforcement people here this morning? See, God wants, to, God wants to do some nitty-gritty work in each and every one of our lives, right? I mean, he doesn't want to just leave us like we, are, we, we were and call it all good. He, he wants to come in and, and, and actually rewire the way our hearts work so that we don't, we don't have any more a dimmer switch on our lives. We, we don't have a way to kind of control control when we're shining or when we're not shining. God, God, I think, wants to really change us so that, so that when, we, when we are in his, in his grace and in his care and in relationship with him, 
we just shine, right? I mean, like there, there's no way for us to come and turn off the switch. There's no way for us to shut this thing off anymore. It's just God has remade us in the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, no matter who I'm with or, or how I'm feeling, I just have to shine because that's who I am. That's how God has made me and I'm made in his image. And what God, I think, really wants to do in each and every one of our hearts and our lives is rewire us so that there's no option for us to hide our light under a bushel. No, we actually shine in every situation. And I pray for each and every one of us that that is what God is going to do in our hearts. Will you let God do that in you this morning? Will you let God transform you this morning? Will you let God change you so you just shine? So that in every situation, in every circumstance, you have the option to bless and to be merciful and compassionate and do what's right and all this stuff we talk about at 6-8 Church. Every situation, no matter who's around, no matter what's around, no matter how, I'm going to shine. I'm going to bless others. I'm going to live my life as a blessing because I have received the greatest, most abundant blessing of all, Jesus Christ. A lot of times when we talk about blessing and serving and that Jesus Christ came to serve, the idea I think can get misconstrued that we think, oh, he's just doing a passionate plea to try to get more people to help in the nursery or whatever it is. And that's important. I think we need to do that. And if you're willing to do that, then an awesome step up to that. But, but the biggest area where we serve is in our life outside of this church. And I've been preaching that message the whole time that I've been here. And I'm just praying for the day that it really starts to take root and take hold in us. That, that once we get outside of the walls of this place, we see that we are on, we're ready to shine, and God is going to use us no matter where we are to shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ and let the darkness be pushed back because where there is light, there can be no darkness. And this morning, I would like, if you will, you don't have to, but I'm hoping you will, to come up and, and find some spots on the map. Find some spots on the map. Maybe you, you, you know, it might not be on the map, and if it's not on the map, just kind of put it down wherever it is. If you work over in Portland, put it down on there. But, but there's, there's three pins, right? There's, you, you've got a black pin, and you know, take the black pin and, and put it where you live. Of course, we live way out in the middle of nowhere, so um, I can put my pin right here. Hopefully this thing doesn't fall down. So, so there's, your, there's your one pin, and take your black pin and put it on the place where you live, and then take your red pin and, and put it where you work. Right, put it, put it wherever you work, and of course I, it doesn't have to be exact, but if you're like me, you want it to be exact, and so I gotta take off my glasses here. 99th. 78th Hazel Avenue, Northwest 9th Avenue. Right there we are. And there's a black pin. Take it and put it where you hang out the most, you know. Maybe it's where you shop the most, you know, the, 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 the grocery store you go to the most often. You know, what is the grocery store you go to the most often? You know, for me, the one I usually probably go to is the Safeway right down here by the store on our way home from work. And so I'm just going to put my little pin down there. But maybe you, maybe you have a place where you hang out and you've got a, a group. Oh, I used the wrong color. White, the clear pin, clear pin. Um, clear pin is for where you hang out, where, 
where you go outside of home and work the most often. And, and you can use more than one clear pen. You know, if you've got two jobs, use more than one red pen. But, but I would just like, I would just love it for all of us to be able to see what God has assembled here and how, how God really wants to use 6-8 Church to, to illuminate Hazeldale and light up Hazeldale with his, with his glory for his purposes, for building his kingdom. But I also want us to see that, that no matter where we are, no matter where God has placed us all over this map, God wants us to shine brightly for him and he wants us to be wherever we are at home, blessing our family, blessing our kids, blessing our spouses when we're at work, blessing our coworkers and blessing our bosses. I know that might be hard for some people, but blessing, blessing our coworkers and our bosses or showing compassion on our coworkers and our bosses and showing compassion on that one guy that nobody can stand and nobody cares about, it, but showing compassion to that guy. And, and while you're out in the community and while you're caring for the people that, that you buy things from and that you go and drink coffee and the barista that you get to know, to, to be able to show them that, you, that God loves them and to bless them. And that's why we've given you these cards. You know, it's, it's not just a gimmick for us. We actually want this to become a lifestyle for us. And if you don't have some of these cards, we've got packs of five for you to take home. And I actually have a story of one of our people that, that uh, shared with me this morning using one of these cards. And, and they actually, they, they do this quite often where they pay for the drink of the person in the car behind them. And they were at Dutch Brothers and they took this card and they gave it to the person that they were buying the coffee from and said, hey, I want to pay for the coffee for the person. This isn't me. This is someone else. And for the coffee of the, because I don't drink Crutch Brothers. That's not my style. But, um, you know, th this, this isn't for me. Can you, I want to pay for the person behind me. And can you give them this card? And gave one of these cards. And and the guy took the card and was like, wow, that's really cool. And he showed it around all the people that were working in the coffee shop as well as giving it to the person behind them. And so all of these people that were, that were there got to, got to see this message, something unexpected to show you God loves you. And so there were people that day that saw that God loves them because one person was just willing to be a blesser. And that's what we want to have happen through our church, that our people become the blessers of the county. And that, that oh, that, you must have been around one of those crazy 6-8 people because you got a free meal or you got a free drink or somebody paid for your gas or somebody showed up at your doorstep, somebody raked your leaves, somebody did something for you unexpected and they just found one of these cards, something unexpected to show you God loves you because when you've been blessed by the cross, you have to bless the world around us. So while we do communion and while the band is playing this song, I would just love it if you would come up and get some pens and throw them up on the map and encourage the rest of us and let us see where you are and where God is using you to bless. And then let that be a reminder to you that no matter where I am, God wants me to live a life of blessing. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you for this perfect work. I thank you for what Jesus Christ did for us on that cross. I thank you that the thing that separated me from you was taken care of that day on the cross. I thank you that even though my sin was great, your grace was greater. Thank you for the blessing you have poured out on my life through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I ask for forgiveness for the times I haven't been a blessing disciple. 
I pray, Father, that you put it on the forefront of my mind, at the top of my mind, to be blessing those in my life. Pray, Father, that not only would you give me the opportunity, but that I would be like Abraham, be faithful to do what you've laid before me, and I would just be faithful in my obedience to you to be a blesser, to be someone who blesses the people around me. Whatever that looks like, God, I pray that you would open up our imagination to what the idea of blessing could be, to how we could bless the people in our household. Father, give us creative, imaginative ideas for ways that we can bless the people in our neighborhood, the people that we live next to. I pray, Father, that you would open up our minds to ideas we've never thought of about ways we can bless our coworkers, ways we can bless our bosses, ways we can bless the people we're around 40 hours a week. Father, I pray, pray that when we, when we go out to, to buy things, when we go out to play in the, in the neighborhoods and in the parks, and when we go out into different communities and different places where we get to know people, that you would give us those opportunities to bless and that you would give us the faithfulness and the courage to, to follow through on those opportunities to bless. Just open up our minds to what you could use us to do. And Father, I pray that you would fill us with the resurrection power of Christ so that we can be obedient to do what you've commanded and called us to do, that we may be your faithful servants. And I pray, Father, that you use us this week before Easter, this week before all this time we've been investing in praying for those five people that you have in our lives already, that, that, you, would give us, that you would give us miraculous, supernatural opportunities to bless those people that you would just bring them across our path, bring them into our lives in ways that we can't explain, ways that we can't take credit for, and give us the chance to bless them the way that we have been blessed. And Father, I pray that you use those moments of blessing to draw people in to hear about the story of Christ, the resurrected Christ, resurrected for everyone who will believe. I thank you for this work. I thank you for these amazing people that you have brought here. I thank you for the blessing that they are to me and to our family, the way they've blessed us so much over the years. Thank you for everyone here made in your image and being transformed once again into the image of Christ, the likeness we were designed and with it where you had us in mind. Change our hearts, O oh God, that we may be a people whose heart says, bless the Lord, O oh my soul and all, everything that is within me. Bless his holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.